Oh, this is Gabby. And KT. And we're back with another episode. Thank you, everybody, for checking out our last one. You hit us up at Building Our PWR. Um, if you want to help uh, with the work we're doing in the city, you can do so. Link is in the description to donate or to join us in person. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to do a little history lesson about uh, Jimmy Carter and that election. And uh, we're just going to try to relate it to, you know, what's going on now and uh, see what we can learn from it. Uh, but before we do that, I would like to read a passage about uh, Joe Biden's election not too long ago, of course, against uh, Donald Trump. And then we're going to get into the Carter stuff. Okay. It says, uh, the largest number of black voters in history came to the polls. Had the black vote been excluded or as divided as the white electorate, Biden would not have been Biden would have been soundly defeated. The political message was clear. Biden became president largely on the votes of the most oppressed sector of the American population. Black elected officials, intellectuals, and religious leaders had convinced blacks that Biden's election was essential for their salvation. Many black leaders organized Operation Big Vote, a national effort to register black voters. In Buffalo, New York, black DJs hosted dance parties to register young voters. Thousands of black Baltimores were registered in shopping centers and at factory gates. In Chicago's South Side, hungry, hundreds of hungry black registered in McDonald's restaurants. 5,000 Houston blacks registered while attending an event at the Astrodome. On television and radio commercials, blacks were reminded repeatedly that their votes would be crucial in determining the outcome of the elections. Black newspapers reminded the blacks that Trump had received 94% of the Republican vote, 66% of the votes from independents, and 42 from all traditional Democrat voters. In all, the Biden ticket received almost 70% of the white American vote. In the aftermath of the controversy, with 15% black unemployment and welfare cutbacks, Blacks could no longer tolerate another Republican administration in Washington. Black Democratic leaders turned right around and sold Biden to their followers with the zeal of late converts. The New Republic observed one year later. Here, they said, is not just your ordinary run-of-the-mill Democrat liberal. Here is a man who grew up poor amidst poverty, who was raised side-by-side with Blacks, who understands black culture and aspirations. The descendant of slaveholders was carefully packaged for black voter consumption, and 91% of all black voters bought the merchandise. So, yes, this is what happened. And uh, pretty much, you know, we were sold a lie. We were sold a lie, and people fell for it, and Joe Biden became president. The only thing about that is that was not about Joe Biden. That was about Jimmy Carter. Yep. And I literally just changed the words. And do y'all see any difference? You couldn't even, y'all didn't even know I was talking about uh, 1976. Nope, that was 40 years ago, pretty much. About 40. He was actually reading Autonomy of Black Politics, an article first published in June 1st of 1978 by Manny Mariable. Um, the guy who actually wrote one of our favorite books, um, How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America. So definitely you guys go read that entire thing. But we're going to kind of go over what happened and we're going to like take it and compare it to how it is now. And how, like we always say, America has the same playbook. 
It's never changed. It's always been the same exact playbook. And we get sold the same playbook every time. And we still fall for, like Gabby says, the okie doke. Mm. Dozens of articles appeared in numerous black newspapers and journals predicting that the Carter administration would appoint many black people to positions of authority within the federal bureaucracy. Typical of most remarks were the comments of Eddie N. Williams, president of the Joint Center for Political Studies. Williams argued that since black people had played a major role in electing Carter, it was now reasonable to assume that the new president would swiftly make black people full partners in the nation's policy-making franchise. If Jimmy Carter wants to show black America that he's aware of the role they played in his election and of their high expectations, he would start by integrating all influential positions within the governmental apparatus. So, um, yeah, what did we, what did we really think when we were electing Biden? What, what were they telling us when they were electing Biden in November? They were saying, oh, you elect Biden, he's going to change student loan debt. Oh, you elect Biden, he's going to get us universal health care. Oh, you elect Biden, he's going to put all these black people, all these women, he's going to do all this, he's going to do all that. We've, We've got Kamala Harris. We've got a black woman as a president or a vice president. Like, they were literally selling us respectability politics from the get-go. Not not respectability, identity politics. Identity politics, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, They were literally selling us identity politics, right? And so that's essentially, it's the same exact thing. It's the same thing that they were doing with Jimmy Carter. And come to find out, just like with Biden, just like with Jimmy Carter 40 fucking years ago, not shit changed. It was lies. It was lies. And even then, it got worse. It actually got worse for black people. There was a higher number of unemployment with poor working class black people. It was a higher number of uh, income differential in the, the poor versus the rich in black people. And it just it just got worse for, for poor working class black people. So overall. I want y'all to see who sold out the blacks. Who sold who out sold black out? who yeah. sold out black people? You know, there was the sixty this is right after the sixties, right after all that political unrest. Right after black people were saying, Well, liberation, maybe we shouldn't be trying to play in this game, you know, they killed Martin Luther King. Uh, maybe this ain't the right way. And from from somewhere and for some reason, all these black, quote-unquote, leaders came out of the woodwork. All these millions and thousands of dollars were pushed into black media, black radio, black newspapers, uh, black government, local government officials to put this man in office. What happened after George Floyd? We're going to say it every time. After George Floyd, people were saying, oh, abolish the police. Oh, maybe anarchy, maybe communism. From somewhere, they put how much, how many, like a billion dollars almost in that uh, campaign in Georgia. How much went into this campaign, the campaign with Biden and Trump? Just money, just out of nowhere, dumped into our communities, the communities of the working class, specifically working class brown and black people, to tell us that, yeah, I don't think it's going to save you. It's this little bolden thing. 
Okay, reading on a little bit, it says, As popular struggles in the streets and at colleges and community centers gradually died down, black elected officials and appointed officials discovered they occupied a managmental relationship within the state. They could pacify the black constituents through increased public services and create public jobs for blacks, but they could not challenge the historical direction of the state. They could not, as it were, demand the economic reorganization of the base, which rationalizes the state's existence. As growing numbers of dissatisfied blacks at all income levels express disapproval from the Carter administration, the black leaders are discovering they are unable to lead their constituencies. Somewhat opportunistically, they are reduced to bitching about a system they cannot change and are now an integral part of. They are forced to condemn Carter, the candidate they campaigned for, with such moral fervor only months ago. There are several social forces in the early 1960s, which could have posed an alternative challenge to the increasing conservative black democratic and business leadership. Black Southern farmers and rural landowners have for decades organized effective political institutions from the Colored Farm Alliance of the 1880s to the militant black tenant farm organizations, which were oriented toward political confrontation with the state rather than class collaboration. Black ministers as a group have often been the most effective moral critics of the state and white civil society, but both groups, for different reasons, failed to develop such a hegemonic political force within black politics. Well, probably because they didn't have the money behind them. That sounds like uh, what was going on in the South. That sounds like grassroots organizing. They didn't have... Uh, capital behind them. They didn't have that political machine behind them. They weren't puppets for nobody. It was just people doing what they do. And we know from experience that you know, it's an uphill battle. Especially back then, no social media, no mass media of any kind. I mean, you get on the telephone, maybe send a telegram, maybe uh, get on live TV. But, yeah, I, I can see how it was definitely an uphill battle, especially after the government had put so much effort into crushing all the political organizations back in the day. So I know it was hard. Yeah. Um, the propaganda, I mean. That alone. And yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so he's talking about pretty much, I mean, what, what this is what we talk about all the time. This ain't just about black people. This is about anybody, the people that, that say they speak for the gays, the people that say they speak for the blacks, the people that say they speak for the working class, the people that say they speak for the workers, everybody. These people, if they're telling you to vote, their job is, what, they, what do you say, to be a managerial position. Mm -hmm. They're just a little liaison between us and the government so that we don't get too angry. That's their job. Their job is to pacify all the little, uh, the little ra rabbit people, the little rascals, and to make sure we're not, you know, getting too angry. But ultimately, you, you look at them, you know they're not doing anything. These people have been in leadership positions for about 10 years now. They'll get on the panel, they'll say America's bad, they'll say capitalism is bad, and not do shit. Angela Davis. Angela Davis. Uh, all of, all of Brittany Cooper, our favorite that we talk about every time. Literally. Literally. Richard Wolf. Uh, what's the other guy? Noam Chomsky. All these people. All of them. Everybody. Um, so there is a part I want to read that kind of like uh, puts everything in together. And he says... 
What went wrong? Neither Carter nor the Democratic Party can be accused of betraying the interests of black and the poor, since they never committed themselves to the transformation of America's political economy, which is essential in destroying the inequities which black leaders complain about so viciously. While the black petty bourgeoisie leaders Oh, no, I'm sorry. While the black petty bourgeoisie and the leaders of black civil society almost unanimously believe that the Democratic Party can solve the continuing problems of black America, the majority of black people either do not vote or do not support the Democratic Party at all. Black leaders fail to understand that, quote, there is no bargaining leverage in a situation where a black part vote for the Democratic Party is expected and delivered. And... To me, that kind of, it really resonates because I'm thinking about, like, what do we, I feel like we just constantly repeat ourselves, but what do we say all the time? Like, y'all holding hands with capitalists, y'all holding hands with the government, y'all holding hands with Joe Biden, with uh, your landlords, with whoever, it's never, ever, ever going to make a substantial difference in the material conditions because the way capitalism is set up at any given time your your whatever you may essentially have whether that be an apartment a house uh whatever your material conditions can be ripped from you if you are not playing into their game no matter what yeah even if you are playing the game it we, can we're still watching be uh we watching crip camp yesterday and it was talking about you know some of the uh some of the movements that were going on as far as disability activism back in the day and um literally every single movement is the exact same thing every single political movement that has ever happened in America is the exact same thing the people that start out are radical people but a lot of times they are middle class yes very educated have resources but they still have some type of affinity to the working class people or the people that can't work people that people that are just poor poor people and eventually something happens there's a blip in the history books and then they have gone and become a part of the government. Yeah, the main like the, lady. the one lady who did the 504 sit-in, Judith. Judy uh, Hossman. Yeah, so she was, she was like gung-ho. Like, she was about she it. She was like, I'm not finna just sit here and just be happy about having an accessible bathroom. Like, this is not enough. We need to be acclimated to a society. This needs to be an equal society. You know, you know giving the whole rundown. She wasn't playing. But then all of a sudden, her story stops. Then they skip to the ADA and the Capitol crawl. And then all of a sudden, the bills are passed and everything's good. Yeah, all of a sudden, now she works uh, with the United States government. She works for the government, yeah. <laughs> was uh, part of Obama's presidency uh, council and things like that. Like, all of a sudden, now she lives in D.C. and she's probably a millionaire. And it's just like, what? And especially, you know, we did that episode on disability on uh, disability and trying to get it. But, of course, we ain't no experts or nothing. But y'all just know people that we that we see on Twitter and TikTok that uh, are disabled or dis- disability advocates. We know not shit ain't changed. Right. Especially with this COVID shit. They're over here celebrating and saying, well, it's only the disabled that's dying, so we don't care. They are literally saying that out loud. 
we we already know that there are so many barriers to climb and people literally will will say that like there's progress yeah. there's progress because you can buy things at the store now because there's a ramp for you to go in here and you to spend this money at this establishment is your quality of life any better have your material conditions changed have the material conditions changed for your parents that may have been disabled if you didn't have no money you didn't have the material conditions of gay people who didn't have money changed didn't that, I mean, that's the same thing, because, like, in that documentary, Crip Camp, you guys will go watch that and analyze it, but in the documentary, they tell about a time, like, in the early 1900s, when all these disabled children were just thrown into these, what they called, poor houses, right? And so, uh, no one was essentially taking care of them. They had feces all over themselves, they weren't being able to eat, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and... Yeah, it, it just tells us that, okay, while we may not necessarily see that anymore, we still have abuse that's happening to mm -hmm. disabled people regularly. And while, yes, your middle-class disabled ass can go out to the grocery store and buy something, there's still fucking poor disabled children. There's still fucking poor disabled people who cannot even afford to have a wheelchair even that would that's electric. You yep. know, yep. that yes, can't sir. even afford to get somebody to come out to their house and help them clean up. They can't even afford those types of things. And so I guess what's important that we need to know is that even within like our own quote unquote communities, whether that be the queer community, whether that be black community, whether that be disabled community, whatever, all of those intersect and there are hierarchies within them. Even within the documentary, the lady was talking about how cerebral palsy was at the bottom of the disabled community um, because they were, quote-unquote, less normal. And the people who had uh, polio, like Judy, who was the face of everything, um, were, were the top, right? So... Yeah, I, I'm not really sure where I was going with that, but other than it, it, there's a hierarchy and we have to understand that there's going to be a hierarchy and we have to figure out a way where that can stop happening. Yeah, I mean, ultimately what I got from that is just like with the civil rights movement, um, all that happened was the government saw that, oh, yes, yeah, some of these disabled people can work, workforce that was, it. that was it. Because if you can't work now, we already talked about it. They don't care. You barely gonna get a check. And then you can't have no money in the bank. And it's not like things are still accessible so, anyway. So, and then when you get paid, you ain't finna get paid. You gonna get paid under the minimum wage. Yeah. So, to me, that's literally all I got from that. They were like, okay, well, the, the, the cost to put these ramps in here, the cost to make a little handicapped bathroom is enough because we're gonna make money off their consumerism. And then we're also gonna make money off of the labor that we can get from them that will be super duper cheap. And that is all that, that's all that we got. And since we're making this quote unquote a, a accessible we can now get money from the government and write it off on our taxes so it just it all goes full yeah. circle it just all goes full circle that's the thing anytime the government says we were just talking about uh what we talking about roe v wade yeah anytime the government you think they, they put like the government did this and the government passed this it's never ever ever because they care about you it is never because they care about the American people. Because if that was the case, capitalism would be gone. Yeah. 
It's always another ulterior motive. There is a reason. We talked about why the Roe v. Wade thing is getting overturned. It's because they need more workers. And then something else, people are like, oh, they're, they're not giving us enough money for these kids. These kids are just going to be in the foster homes and they're not going to have any place to go. That's a part of the plan as well. That's a point. That's the absolute because point. Because the foster kids, as soon as they get kicked out, they either go into jail or they're going to be uh, unemployed somewhere or working somewhere for minimum wages. And that's it. And they go to jail, that's free labor. They get the minimum wage and that's that's more surplus labor. So it's really not what was it what was it we were reading last night we were talking about um like the history of disabled rights. They were talking about how like these people, quote unquote, these people are unemployed and worthless rats essentially that are just feeding off the government and we should not have to care for them and they're uh they're basically the bottom of the barrel there's no reason for them to even have a job anyway because they just they're gonna die anyway that's that's essentially what they were thinking and what they were saying yeah but i was talking about the foster kids same thing same thing with the foster kids. They're not necessarily disabled, though. No, but even if they're not disabled, they're still thinking the same thing. These kids, if they get out the foster system and they have all these aces, all these traumas, who fucking cares? They're going to jail. They can, they can do free labor for us. But that's the thing. They can do free that's labor, the but, the disabled, the, but the disabled, it's not even, they're not even taking them to jail saying you can work at jail. It's just you just finna rot in your house. Yeah. And same thing with children who are literally pushed through the foster care system. If you cannot go out and work and you're not going and doing uh, robbing stores or whatever else it is that you would get into, then the same thing is going to happen to you. You can go right in some random place. Who cares? Do you know how many homeless children there are who were through the foster care or homeless adults now that went through the foster care? Same thing. It's the same thing. I can see where it, where it plays a part. Yeah. I can definitely see that. But, yeah, guys, this is all over the place. I don't really know what the point of this was. But we did want to put some history out there just so, just something else just to keep in your brain. Just something else to remember because they finna, they finna pull out the punches for this doggone midterm. Yes. They finna say the same thing. Get you a book and go, just pick a, pick a year. Pick a year, read what happened during the election, read the lies they said was going to happen, look at today. And, uh, yeah, that's all I can say. And, and as far as solutions, the only thing I say, guys, is we just have to, we just have to mobilize enough people and just and get, these folks, get these folks hype and agitate them and, and get organized and get some going. Because, I mean... We're going to sit here for how long? And then we're sitting here and people are coming up with these uh, just out of the ass narratives about what all this stuff is about. And they're going into conspiracy theories and they're going into all this other stuff. It's like, yeah, no. You don't have to do we that. Have, we we got to be in control of this narrative and keep people on the right path and to realize that the point is out of capitalism into an equitable society, which will come from uh, communism uh, and then anarchism. Um, so, yeah, uh, we will definitely link that article or that uh, passage in the description. Also, we'll link that documentary in the description. It's on YouTube. Um, yeah, anything else? Yeah, I just want to say something that's really important, I think, is uh, like to, to get it going. You have to remember, you got the reason why Black Panthers were so successful even 
is because they were meeting a material need, right? And that's what we, our goal should be, is to meet material needs for people, whether that means you're feeding them, you're housing them, you're doing something. And if you can do that, then that gives it a better, it's a better road for people to be able to organize easier because they're no longer stressing about these things that they need in order to survive, and they're more likely to trust you if you can provide them with something, right? So if you did want to, quote, unquote, convert them to anarchism or communism, then they're going to trust you because you have supplied them with something that they need in order to survive. And, uh, yeah, that's really the main goal here is to survive capitalism and survive our place here on Earth outside of the everyday 9 to 5 capitalistic cis-heteronormative a nuclear family uh, thing that we have going on here. So, yeah, that, that's really my, all I want to add. All right. Well, if you would like to add to the conversation, you can do so. Link, uh, not link in the description. You can comment on our YouTube channel or just hit us up on all our social medias at Building Our PWR. Um, if you would like to contribute to the work we are doing, the link is in the description. If you would like to join us, the link is in the description. Uh, yeah, this has been Gabby and Katie, and this has been Building Our Power. <laughs>